Welcome to the Recombobulator Lab with Jason Gramnai and Chris Dominic. Hey, Good Jason, morning. what's up? <laughs> I, I don't know if it's morning for Tom. We've got Tom Osdeba here, and he's definitely in Europe somewhere, aren't you, Tom? Yeah, it's 9.15 in the evening. I've got a little glass of wine, just finished dinner. Oh, very right. good. That's so good. good. And I've got a cup of tea, probably wine, because it's 5 a.m. here in Sydney, yeah. Australia. Yeah, and it's, it's noon noon in Portland, just a little past. So Very we, good. So we've got our tricontinental routine uh, back. We do. Uh, and, yeah. And and Tom is a friend of the uh, of the lab. And if we Absolutely. had the theme music, we'd say that, but we don't anymore. We would. I thought about singing it right now, but Please that's don't. probably not a good. No, that's yeah. a bad idea. Yeah, production so, values are plummeting. Yeah, you know. Well, so so in the time that we've talked, which has been a while, it's been like a year. Um, so much is going on, and I couldn't help but notice. And I thought about you, Tom, when I saw the third or fourth bridge fall into the raging river, or the giant sinkhole suck, suck an entire city down, or. Um, the fact that half of the um, United States just cooked or got rained on all summer. <laughs> it's just crazy. Uh, and uh, listeners, right before we got started, I was talking about the irritating nature of most of the podcasts I've listened to, that's, where there's always some propaganda behind all of these conversations that occur around environmentalism and business and markets and and government responsibilities and we're we're devoted to spending some time together uh freely talking about all of these issues uh, aside from special interest groups or super PACs <laughs> oh i had a whole thing to talk about with super PACs. <laughs> yeah i know sorry they don't even have those in australia do no they, Jason? but i'm working no. on them yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Tom, tell tell us about your last year. What's what's going on? Have you developed communities? Well, <laughs> not exactly. I think that that the last year has been a complete blur of trying to mobilize a hundred cities to be climate neutral by twenty thirty in the EU. Wow. So it's a huge, huge undertaking. It's very ambitious. Um, you know. That's a, there's a whole philosophical discussion around missions and moonshots and whether that that applies effectively to this context. But I think for me, it's basically every day we got to try to do better. We got to mobilize the right people doing the right things in the right place, etc. You know, I was just in in Warsaw the end of last week and and talking to a handful of cities there and a few folks from the national government and. As, as I think most people are quite aware, the energy prices are uh, at crisis level um, with the whole war with Ukraine. The EU is trying to rapidly transition away from natural gas from Russia. You know, in the best scenario, that would be extraordinarily difficult to do uh, in 20 years, much less do in a crisis mode. And so... Mm. You know, there's a lot of difficult conversations going on. People are struggling, worried about how they're ge- going to heat their homes in the winter. You know, it's we're like in the 18th century again um, in some ways, but we know a lot more about what's going on in the world. Uh, it was interesting to see these 
folks talk about the issues they're facing, though, because I think it does illustrate that there are some ways to do this. It's just going to be really hard. Um, and I think that's part of what we're going to talk about, too, which is, you know, we have institutional reflexes and norms and cultural norms mm. that hinder our ability to do a better job. And uh, I think that's that's going to be something I'm going to have to deal with on a daily basis. Right. Yeah. I mean, Europe seriously burned this summer. I mean, watching Europe burn was insane because I felt like I was watching Australia and it's like we're sort of used to it in Australia, but it's like, you know, there's no water in Italy. There's, it's just, it's like, whoa, the system is really, the environment, the natural system is kind of crumbling. But you just said something, Tom, about the norms that we have, these reflexes we have aren't really serving us. And I feel like those norms are developed within a system, the capitalist system, and we're so used to it, that muscle's so familiar. And then some of them, like, you look at economic policy, not to get geeky for a second, but none of those levers are really working anymore, right? Like, you've got negative interest, you've got here, have free money, and then suddenly inflation, like, it just feels like it's so antiquated. Like, we don't know how to run the ship anymore. Yeah, I think I, I, I think that's largely something that we have to think about way too much now because it is right in our face mm. every day, right? The Loire River dried up. Um, they couldn't ship in Germany on the Rhine River, um, you know, forest fires, historic drought, et cetera. You know, it's all going quite terribly. And, you know, the conversations going back even three years to the European Green Deal and the COVID response, we're still doing the same things and expecting mm. a different result. And uh, I think that's that's a real struggle. So I'm, I'm curious how much of this is tied to the fact that there isn't really any centralized control about this. I mean, sure, there's organizations like the UN or, you know, the G7 or any of these organizations where, we, where you could get a lot of the powers in, in play and get them to agree to do certain things. But I was just thinking about something you said uh, last, either the last time or two times ago when we got together. It A lot of the problem... It seems to come from the fact that there isn't a real accountability of the true cost of a lot of what is being done. I mean, your capitalism is necessarily going to be kind of consumerist. You're going to go want to get materials and make them and take them out of the environment. And there's a cost to that that doesn't get captured because there isn't. Anyway, if mm. you could just speak to that. I've, I've always been curious, like, why can't we get that figured out? And then, OK, I'll just throw one another thing on here. The part that I don't really understand at all is like people can say they can pay their way out of this mm. by like, I'll just send money to somebody and then uh, that will cover my carbon footprint. But like, who the hell is that? And what are they doing? Like, that doesn't sound right. Like, so two I, questions. <laughs> I, I got a third. No. Okay. Never mind. Go ahead. Go ahead. What do you think? Well, a, a couple of things. A couple of things to to I, I think pull apart and, and dig into a little bit. I think starting maybe with your fir first point about governance um, and how we collectively make decisions. Because what what um, capitalism as we've practiced it, and this is a long esoteric place that we all, we all don't want to go because we'll die before we finish it. But capitalism as we practice it is highly diffuse. Um, and has really flourished in the absence of real strong governance. 
uh, of markets and, and ownership structures, et cetera. That hasn't always been the case in our history. And so, but for 40 plus years, that has been the unquestioned way things work. And it's a real struggle when, when you know we're getting outcomes that we don't want, but we lack the ability to make the changes necessary at the scale, speed, uh, um, and precision that we really need. If there is no governance, you know, people, people who maybe in the U.S., for example, who read about Brexit and how how in that rhetoric the U.K. really demonized the EU as this big monolithic institution, and you know, the EU has a huge apparatus in in Brussels and has a lot of um, institutions and bureaucracy, etc. But the EU itself does not have um, a lot of power. Um, imagine, as a corollary of the United States government, if Congress tried to introduce a bunch of bills, but they were blocked by um, individual states, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. groups of individuals in the House of Representatives or Senators. The member states, the countries in the EU have a huge amount of power. They can veto, effectively veto anything. And so even in the EU, it's quite difficult to move aggressively and, and at scope. And, and I think that's one of the big problems. And, and you know, it's, it's not going to get it's not going to be easy to overcome because there isn't um, there isn't an easy workaround there. Um, you got to pull you got to open the hood and, and figure out what's what's wrong and and really tackle it. And, you know, I, th- I think people in the U.S. know, you know, the, the failure of Congress to do any meaningful policy work over the last you know, almost 20 years now has been quite breathtaking uh, and not in a good way. Yeah. Um, mm. And so, you know, just to circle back on, uh, you know, on the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, which the climate hawks and the environmentalists, you know, were waving around as this historic accomplishment, which, to be fair, it was historic. We've never passed climate legislation before at Congress. Mm. But if you look at it from the perspective, not of that, but of what the world needs, it's almost quite literally the least they could do. Uh, they couldn't do less and still have a bill. Um, and that'll get your uh, listeners all riled up. It's, so it's the bare minimum. Well, that's all right. <laughs> Jason, are you still awake? I'm just trying to make I am. <laughs> Sorry. Jason, Jason let me know that he was on, uh, he, he had the tea instead of the coffee today, and he's kind of looking like a guy who normally drinks coffee, but is not tea. Can you, can you find It's a rookie, a rookie era. I'm sorry. You, you, can, you can do the thing that Americans do with yeah. tobacco. You can put it in your lip, and you can I'm do just, it with your tea. You can just kind of chew on it. I no? know, I know, I know, okay. I know. No. Aren't you up, aren't you up next? Aren't you, ask a question. Come on. <laughs> I'm still reeling from the last answer. Like, Jesus. <laughs> you mean we've got to do more? What? Okay, so um, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll force the issue then, and I'll give you some time to ask your question. So, Tom, is it is it BS or not? Can I pay my way out of my carbon footprint? There's two answers to that. Okay. One is, one is technically, just like in you, when you file your taxes, you can figure out how to reduce your income and have tax credits, etc., and, and lower your burden. Mm-hmm. Same principle applies. Um, you can invest in um, carbon-reducing activities elsewhere on, that then represent your proportionate reduction in the global contribution. You can do that. Now, I think you're asking a separate question, which is, is the global our global carbon offset markets working? Yeah, uh, and 
And again, I think the answer is mixed. In some cases, they definitely are moving resources to places that can make meaningful progress. But that doesn't mean that there aren't uh, uh, plenty of examples and even at scale um, um, plenty of collective acts that you would look at and say, you know, this isn't really capturing the spirit of what was envisioned mm. here. Mm-hmm. So when I book that airplane ticket and they, you check the box at the bottom and say, offset your carbon, is that BS, Tom Osterba? Well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be that difficult person that's going to say it. I, that's why we have you on. That's why we have you on. That's why we do it. That's why we pay the big bucks. That's why we say we want Osterba on because it's going to be painful. But if you, but if you yeah. take it, it depends seriously and you really inspect what it means. I know we're laughing mm. when I say this, but and you really inspect what that means. Mm. Um, it means as an in, if, if we're going to do this well, it means as individuals or others who are buying offsets, we have to do our homework yeah. to understand exactly what that money is being directed toward and, and is what that money is being directed towards actually an enduring, legitimate uh, improvement in the in the struggle against reducing uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And, and that is, I would argue, at scale, a fool's bet because individuals mm, yeah. are never going to do that work. Um, that was exactly what went through my mind. I thought, okay, the problem is, so mm. I'm thinking, uh, you know, my energy company says, hey, check this box and we'll charge you an extra three bucks and you can feel better about everything. And I'm sure there's a link to a page that's like, here's what we do to do that. And uh, there's not a lot of motivation to go look at that. I'm just telling you. So this goes even back if to you what? Look at that. Uh, I was just kidding. Jason, even if you yeah. go look at that, it's not clear there's going to be enough information to allow yeah. you to really understand. And, you know, if you're depending on your where you are in the cynicism spectrum, do you think that's <laughs> intentional or you think it's incompetent? Yeah. I, I Can I just say? Yeah. I'm going to take that on board. It's 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 the cynicism spectrum. I wish that should be a band or that should be yeah. I don't know a marketing agency. <laughs> Actually, it's to me it's a qualifying question for anybody when they ask you a particular question where you can ask back to them, well before I answer, where yeah. are you on the cynicism <laughs> scale? That's great. But it, it's it's interesting. It's like what is well, we I think I know the answer, but this idea that it's the user it's 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 on them to go and figure all this crap out, and then you've yeah. got these regimes where the FTC or the ACCC in Australia or the British regulator, like they have this endless impossible job to try and stay ahead of all the BS. You can tell what end of the spectrum of cynicism I'm on, but it's like it's interesting. Like the user, it's up to the user to dig around. It's why is that? Why can't the producer own that? You know, it goes to you know producer responsibility, but. It just seems so well, cruel we, and unfair. <clears throat> we, we, we tried really hard in the 90s and largely fell short of making that stick in, 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 in a meaningful way. And, you know, and, and if, if that would have happened in a serious way, and I remember writing, writing a bill in, at the state of Minnesota that ultimately got passed about eight years later um, to make producers responsible for managing electronics at the end of life, right? Mm-hmm. There's a clear, obvious set of benefits that come from that, and there's a real logic around making the experts in those products and those materials responsible mm-hmm. for what happens to them. But the you know the '90s weren't just in an age of um, 
uh, flannel shirts and, and uh, a shift in pop music. It was also a shift in uh, economic power. And we concentrated economic power in a way we didn't realize was happening at the time, which is almost always the way things go, and lost those political battles. And so governance around these things has become nearly impossible. Um, right. Because once once you go down that path, how you don't just incrementally scale back economic power, right? Even even people like um, um, Yvonne Chouinard, who you know gave, mm. literally gave away all his ec- equity in his company in Patagonia, and then yeah. de- is directed all of that profit from that equity to climate action. You know, he's a drop in the bucket, um, mm. and there is. That doesn't scale, and and as great it is as it is, and and as wonderful a, a person as he is in recognizing it, he's still a fucking billionaire, um, <laughs> and that shouldn't happen. You know, it shouldn't. That but, shouldn't happen. And there goes, so you, there goes, there goes the, uh, the family rating. Uh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize you guys. I didn't realize you guys. Well, it says it, it says E for everyone. Until Tom's on, basically. Yeah, and then, then we have to go after dark. We've got to go after yeah. 11 p.m. We have, we, we, so I'll ha- we'll have to remind Maria to either beep that or we'll just mark it as an explicit episode just because of Tom. Um, it's, it's so, explicit my environmentalism. No, no, no. I'll was, learn my lesson. You know what? It it made it was a better way to do it. Okay, so. Can, I've got so many questions. So in the 90s, God, it was a great era. Um we were all in our 20s. It was so cool. <laughs> Seattle bands, rock and roll. Um, but does, when you say economic power, do you mean that? Because I felt like in that era, so the, the businesses and lobbyists kind of then ruled the waves and sort of decimated any, any regulatory anything. Is that where you're going? Is that what you mean? And then once that's done, trying to claw back, you can see the European Union has got a bit of a claw back, but America just, it's, it's totally unfettered. The FTC is toothless and... Everyone gets away with everything. Is that is that a right way to think about it? That's yeah, that's. Nice. I, I think that's basically right. You know, it, it 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 followed a decade in which in which we largely. Um, I don't think this counts as explicit, Chris. We largely neutered. Um, <laughs> neutered. Largely think, neutered. Nah, neuter. You can neuter. <clears throat> we we largely neutered fifty years of effective market governance and social institutional development during the 80s and in the 90s we saw what happened right um right. the mm-hmm. the and and that also corresponded with because things aren't just that straightforward it also corresponded with china coming into the world economically in a way that you know blew everybody's minds quite literally um and so there was so much growth so much economic activity um that it papered over the problems that were being um, seeded at the time, which is, you know, the large corporations were amassing incredible wealth and then started to use that wealth to um, dictate dictate in the, in the governing conversation, dictate the outcomes that now prevent us from having better conversations about it. And, and you know, you can come up with any number of examples of, of what happened as a result, including Jason getting kicked out of this podcast uh, yeah. against his own will. I mean, yeah, I'm sure he didn't even swear. I mean, he didn't know. hit the wrong button or anything. He just, you know, they decided to kick Actually, him out. Yeah, it's, I, it, yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because there's all these things where you think, okay, well, I thought this was what the whole point of a regulated 
capitalistic marketplace is, right? Like that's mm-hmm. the whole reason why we have regs is because we know that if you take capitalism to in its pre WPA form to its like crazy, you know, ends, then everything becomes something you can buy and sell. And everybody, for the most part, is like, well, I'm not really comfortable with certain things being things you can buy and sell, right? I mean, Hmm. otherwise it's, you know, we're going to make assassins legal, you know, uh, or whatever, you know. So so how does, is it just that because nobody's got the, the power to really put the regs in, or is it not that simple? Well, it is simple that the, the the power is not doesn't exist in any way that's actionable. Absolutely, mm-hmm. um, to to re-regulate, if you will, you know. And I'll I'll just and I'll be short, I promise. But a very very brief jump back in time from the WPA, which was you know the depression caused by the Roaring Twenties and the excesses of unfettered market regulation at the time. Go back another 30 years into the 1890s in the Gilded Age, which is where John D. Rockefeller became the world's first billionaire. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, another period where there was not there was insufficient attention to the regulation of economic power uh, and the social externality, if you will. Mm -hmm. I hate to use economic terms, but I you know, we're all Mm -hmm. we're all big, big kids here. Uh, But the social externalities and, and, you know, in the early 20th century, uh, the antitrust movement was born. The progressive movement was born that pushed against that and, and changed some of the rules again. But then again, by the 20s, you had a new cycle of activity. And so we've, we've seen these we've seen this all play out before. I think what's difficult now is um, I don't see as clearly where the forces are that that hmm. start to correct a new cycle. Um, and and it may be we're too close to things. Um, it may be that those cycles were a lot easier to deal with and get to when you only had a couple billion people on the planet versus, you know, more than seven and a half now. Um, and, and, you know, that's something we're, we're loath to talk about. Right. But I, I, I struggle with what's going to be the set of forces that are going to pull us back from this sort of moment of, of excess of capitalism. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Jason. No, I just, I'm just, I, and you look across the world, I always, and you're in Europe, we're just looking at it, but I feel like of any region, they're the ones that might be doing something interesting. But is that not true? It's, I'm just reading the wrong newspaper. <laughs> like they are trying to do things, aren't they? Or is it just so it, slow? And <clears throat> There are interesting hap- things happening. I, I would say there are interesting things happening in a lot of places. Um, hmm. But... The question is, do they reach critical mass, and is it operational at a at a at a macro level? And I, and I mm-hmm. think that's the that's the tricky part. Um, right. You know, even Sweden, one of the great successes of the last century, <laughs> from a social mm-hmm. democratic perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Quality of life, freedom, you know, anything, blonde and beautiful, whatever it is, right? They've pretty much hit the jackpot. And what did they do? They just elected a new government that wants to go in the opposite direction. Right. Really? Yeah. What? Tell me about that. I, I actually don't know anything about that. Well, it's it's the same set of dynamics, right? That you have with with almost almost all democratic places right now. You have mm. a, a a coalescing of um, 
what would you call it? A coalition, a coalition of interests that are growing on the on the right, who are mm. seeking to oh, basically, sure. re, you know, it's it's the same conversation. They want to they want to pull back freedoms. They want to deny women and minorities the same economic rights, the same democratic rights, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. They want to yeah. go back to a time in which you know the white man was the most important thing uh, that ever walked the earth. Yeah, right. yeah I've and heard of that before. It's, <laughs> yeah, and it's it's disturbing um, to see in a place that's been so successful at having a balanced approach, right? They weren't mm-hmm. – Sweden's not a socialist country. I mean, Americans sort of ignorantly view it as a socialist country. It's a social democratic country that is invested in mm. – a set of institutional moves that are designed to protect people, ensure that everybody has opportunity, education, high quality, you know, high quality healthcare, you know, and it and it worked, right? And they yeah. even learned to invest in innovation and business development, and you know, make themselves uh, capable of being entrepreneurial, etc. Which was a critique in the eighties and nineties, um, but mm. you know, they're not immune from this either, and and mm. so it's it's quite. It's quite stark to see that happen. At the same time, you know, I think um, maybe it's a bias because of how I spend most of my time. You go to the cities, whether it's here in the U.S., and the cities are doing interesting things, setting aside police force uh, action in the United States cities. But, Mm -hmm. you know, um, cities remain the place where these conversations are the most dynamic. Mm -hmm. Um, But cities in Europe also have less power than cities in, in America, for example. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Because ultimately, the states have their own governance here. That that makes a lot of sense, actually, Tom. The, the thing, I just, just a, this is just an ad hoc observation, but it does seem like uh, certainly like the media has been focusing a lot on just how bad climate change has affected things. I, you know, you, you can't, turn the dial without seeing some disaster somewhere and then somebody saying well I, you know we did warn you it's climate change uh you know i mean that that keeps happening you would think that that might get through to people at some point and people might vote in a particular direction um but then again i talk to people sometimes where i remember i, I was talking to somebody the other week and i said did you know that the that lake in Vegas is so low that they're finding bodies at the bottom. Oh, yeah. Of it. And yeah, yeah, they yeah. were like, really? And I was like, yeah, it's kind of big news. Like, there's no water, man. Right. And that's kind right. of a big deal when you're in the desert, you know? No. So yeah. I don't know. Did you, do you see any sense that there's – your, your point was about critical mass. Do you see any sense that there are larger groups of people organizing around this or no? I – I'm, I'm going to say two things about that. I, I think one is it's going to start that it's going to start to look visible that sort mm-hmm. of uh, critical mass. It may be that it's more distributed and connected than it is concentrated, but I think you're going to start to see more of that. I, mm-hmm. I don't know how that's going to play out, um, mm-hmm. but it's definitely building. And I think the question is, oh, how does it take action? And and one of the things I hope is that, circling back to the beginning of the conversation and Jason's comments, I hope that it goes beyond this sort of, well, it's just capitalism. Capitalism is the problem. Because mm-hmm. that othering <clears throat> of capitalism is really a red herring because it deflects attention away from our own role 
and our own agency in contributing mm-hmm. to the systems that we, we participate in. And you can say, well, we don't have any choice. Well, we kind of yeah. do. I mean, in, in the U.S., voting turnout is still obscenely low. Um, we're still tolerant of, of just absolute terrible people running our government and, and so on and so forth. I think the other thing I would say is, and this is the, this is the part that makes me most nervous because it's, it's largely undiscussed, which is um, we have – over the last, what, 40 years, every time there's been a major economic shock, we've bailed out hmm. the established industry. Yep. Uh, and there's an economist called Joseph Schumpeter. I don't know if you've ever heard of Joseph Schumpeter. From Sounds a bit French. Er, early yeah. 20th century. Jason doesn't read he, French people. <laughs> yeah. He told me the other day, he thought that, you know, there's this stereotype that about French people being kind of arrogant sometimes. And... Um, yeah. But that he doesn't believe it, except most days. And that he also has an incredible French accent. You, can you do your boo 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 thing, Jason? Maybe in sûr. Oh, that's pretty good. That's way bon, better. Oui. Oh, may we? May we? Wow. Je m'appelle Croissant. Oh. <laughs> Is that the ça, extent of it? Is that ça the extent of it? Oui. Oui, oui, oui. oui. Uh, oh. oh, yeah. So that's about it. Changed, Sorry. We've changed the world. We have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it really has. Anyway, so so the, he he created this term or coined this term called creative destruction, and that part of the econ, part of the power of uh, democratic capitalism was that it would the creativity that comes out of the cycles of the economic cycles. But what we've done is we've taken away the destruction part, mm. and so we're still creative, but we keep propping up old industry sectors, old business models, old established interests that um, should be allowed to go away and die. Mm. Um, you know, we bailed out the auto industry, we bailed out the airlines, we bailed out the banks multiple times. Um, and and that has limited the power of, of what it is we are good at, which is, mm. you know, creating new things. <clears throat> it's inhibited it because they hold on to their power as, as a result. And, and you know, that does tend to fuel cynicism in people because they look at that and go, well, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. it's mm-hmm. fa- That whole notion of too big to fail is terrifying, right? Yeah. Like it just, it just completely belies how systems work and how, yep, sometimes dinosaurs, like they just go extinct and the new thing comes along. And so it is fascinating. And your point around like there's a resignation from a consumer or a user point of view, it's like, what can I do in this big complex system where you're right, the big guys keep getting bailed out. So what are the chances here? It's, it's really tough. So we were going to talk about greenwashing, but I think we need to push that to episode the next episode because oh, yeah. we have time expectations. So yeah. I think we're going to wrap this one and pick up moments later and talk about that. Boom, boom, goes the dynamite. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Jason. Sounds great. You guys are awesome. Great to see you. Talk to you in seconds. Thank you for joining us at the Recombobulator Lab with Chris Dominic and Jason Graham Nye. Catch you next time. time.